So um, this Sunday, we have uh, someone special speaking. It's not Aaron this week, um, but we get to hear from a great friend of ours that you guys uh, know really well. Would you guys welcome up uh, Matt McCarter? You got that? So um, I've been looking forward to hearing Matt share. Um, you guys know this about Matt, but always a guy that shares with real conviction from Scripture, reads it, has some conviction on what God wants to say to us from that, and shares it just really courageously. And so I always love hearing from you, love hearing your conviction on Scripture, and I love that how, um, how you lay out just so plainly what God's saying through Scripture. And so I'm looking forward to this, our third, uh, third part of the series, Faithless, and I'm yeah. just uh, looking forward to this. So. Thanks, man. Yeah. Anyways, well, let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for Matt. I thank you for what he has prepared this morning. I ask that you would uh, enable him to just communicate so clearly what uh, has been put on his heart. Um, But I also ask for all of us here. I ask Jesus that you would would just speak to our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you to speak this morning. And we thank you that you're here, that you're near, um, and that you want to move. So as we look in Scripture, as we celebrate together and worship, would you be close to us? Would you speak to us? We thank you that you are at work in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Welcome home, Brayden and Jenna. Glad to have you this morning. Looking forward to connecting with you more. Um, I'd say it was probably a couple months ago that Aaron asked me to fill in today because he's obviously out moose hunting, right? So many other people are. And so, of course, I sure, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, and then he told me the passages uh, that, that I was supposed to teach. He came up with a series, and, and I feel like I got duped a little bit, you know? Uh, if I ever had a dream of becoming a, a prosperity gospel preacher today, that dream dies. Um, <clears throat> uh, specifically because I, I, I've just been wrestling pretty heavily with, with the text and uh, these past couple weeks, and, and I, I feel like... Uh, just picked up this heavy load, and I'm gonna try to find a way to drop it off without hurting myself, you know? Uh, so I wanna ask for your grace as I uh, traverse, as we traverse this time together. Um, first of all, I wanna ask that you would, you would not make assumptions about what I'm saying, okay? Uh, that you would just kinda stick with me through it uh, and uh, not land on something that I'm not trying to say, okay? Uh, the, the second one is, uh, and I, I fall victim to this quite often, is during the message, uh, I will think, so-and-so needs to hear that, right? Uh, and I, I want to encourage you to, uh, to, to think about how this impacts your life and, and where you are with it. Because I think that uh, today, more than anything else, is, a, is an opportunity for us to practice repentance. <laughs> Uh, a, a call to repentance. And if that sounds uh, scary to you, uh, as believers, we should actually be living a life of practicing repentance all the time, uh, a, a life of repentance. And so we, we need to be able to practice that. We should feel comfortable doing it, even though it may hurt at, at times. So we're in the middle of this series and uh, third week. The first week, what we looked at was uh, the people, as they traversed through the wilderness, they grumbled against the Lord. And then last week, Aaron shared that uh, as they were in the wilderness, they began to look back at Egypt and say, oh man, 
I, I wish that we were back in slavery, which is really what they're saying, right? Uh, I don't really enjoy this freedom that you've given us, God. Send us back. Uh, and today, what we're going to look at is um, the Israelites are going to grasp for control. Uh, they're actually going to reject the leadership that God has uh, established over them, or they're going to try. So uh, I want to give you kind of just a little bit of context of what Numbers has, has been doing before we get to chapter 12 today. So Numbers starts out with God calling Moses to perform a census, and the census is to take an account of every able-bodied man that is able to go to war, and he does that through each individual tribe, the 12 tribes of Israel. He calls each man forward, and they count them, and then they uh, arrange the camp around this newly formed tent that houses the Lord, the tent of meeting, right? So they place the tribes around it, and God calls out the Levites to be his firstborn, which is what he said he would do in Egypt, that he would take as possession all the firstborn. Well, now, instead of taking all the possession from all the firstborn, he's going to take the Levites specifically. In Numbers chapter 1, verse 53, it says that the job of the Levites is actually to protect the rest of the tribes from the wrath of God. They actually are housed near uh, his position, right, his tent, uh, in order to minister from a place of nearness to the tribes, okay? They're to protect him, protect the other people from the wrath of God. Uh, and so then the, the Levites are actually given tasks. Groups of the Levites are given tasks to pick up the tent and move the tent as the column of fire and smoke move through the wilderness. <clears throat> in Numbers 9, 23, ends with this section uh, saying this. Uh, it actually says that they, the tent moves uh, daily or weekly at different spans of times. Maybe it's there for not even a day, and they continue to move through the night. Or maybe it's there for a week or a month. Uh, but then it concludes with this statement. It says, at the command of the Lord, they camped. And at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. Notice how it ends. By the Lord, the command of the Lord by Moses. Moses is a proxy for the authority of God of how they're moving through the wilderness. Okay? So, Numbers 12 is going to be our passage today. What we're going to look at. So, I'm going to tell you the story, and then we're going to look at three different points within, within the text. Okay? So, uh, Numbers 12 starts out with Miriam and Aaron speaking out against Moses. And the reason that they begin to speak out against Moses is because he has a Cushite wife. Okay? Then they say, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't God used us too? And the Lord hears this statement because he's in proximity to where they are, right? Aaron and Miriam are Levites, so they are close to the Lord in their camp. <clears throat> he hears them, and what comes next, I can actually hear myself saying to my children. It says that he hears, he hears what they say, and suddenly he calls to them, to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam. He says, get to the tent right now. We have to have a conversation because this kind of behavior is not going to happen. 
<clears throat> he speaks to, he calls out Aaron and Miriam from the three, and he says this in six through nine. He says, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And so the, the column that he arrived in then ascends, right? And when he leaves, Aaron looks over at Miriam and notices something very different about her. She has now become leprous. Her skin is white. And as the wind moves across her skin, it actually falls off to the ground in chunks. That's what it means by leprous as snow, right? It's like dandruff. So now she's looking at her and noticing uh, there's something very wrong. And what happens for, for Aaron is, is immediate repentance. There's something that happens because he doesn't address the Lord. He actually calls to Moses and says, Moses, please forgive us. Please don't punish us for this sin. Please. And so Moses' reaction is to call to the Lord. God, please help her. Please. And then God says this to her in verse 14. It says, but the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought back in. And so the whole camp actually waits for Miriam to come back into the camp seven days. They can't get any closer to the promised land because they're waiting on Miriam to come back in. I don't know about you, but that's not really a position that I want to be in. Everybody's waiting on me because I'm leprous out there. <clears throat> so what I want to do is look at three different parts, the mindsets and actions of Miriam and Aaron. Okay. The first thing that happens in the text is that Moses, uh, Miriam and Aaron are, are, are trying to undermine the authority of Moses. And it happens like this. I can imagine them standing in the camp, watching Moses, and them saying to each other, look at Moses and his Cushite wife. Uh, how, why is it that he has a Cushite wife? Didn't the Lord tell us not to marry outside of our own people? Well, he did say exactly that, right? Exodus chapter 34. 15 says, take care lest you go into the promised land and marry someone outside of your own race, of your own nation. Because if you marry someone outside of your nation, there is going to be a great chance that you follow, you actually, the words are, you whore after the gods of those people. And I can't have you doing that, right? So, when Moses is initially called, who is he married to? He's already married to a woman from a different nation, a Midianite, Zephora, right? 
What's also interesting about this is that this one verse is the only place in the whole Bible that says anything about Moses having a Cushite wife. So what does that tell you? God didn't address it with him, right? He actually was already called with a woman from another nation, and he clearly, based on this passage, is not having trouble being faithful to the Lord. It's actually the words that God used towards him, you are faithful in all my house. So what Miriam and Aaron are doing is holding him up against the law, saying, hey, look, this is how you're disqualified. When, when it says that they speak against him, it, what it means is that they're criticizing him. They have contempt for him, right? They're looking at him saying, you don't really add up to what a leader of this nation really should be. And then they go a step further, right? Verse 2 says that, uh, has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses? Has he not also spoken through us? Which, which actually is true, right? Aaron has been used by God to speak to Pharaoh earlier in the story. So what's the problem with this? I don't read this and go, oh, God is going to descend in a cloud and have a meeting with the three of them and then leave one of them leprous, right? I don't read those words and expect that reaction. What I actually have to read is the next verse, okay? And understand how Hebrew writing works. <clears throat> verse 2 says, Has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses? Has he not also spoken through us? Verse 3 says something different. It says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Isn't that weird that Moses writes that about himself? If you just read that in the, and take it out of the context and read it alone, that's really weird. But if you read them together, what you see is a contrast. Someone who is prideful versus someone who is meek and humble, right? So Miriam and Aaron are expressing their pride. Their, heart, their, their prideful hearts are exposed by their words. And God, knowing all things, knowing what is happening on the inside of us, is able to detect, oh, this is actually a massive problem. And if I don't actually step in in this very moment, what's going to happen is the leaven that has begun in their heart, the sin that has begun in their heart, is going to spread out into all the rest of the camp. Right? He has to address it. So what happens to uh, proud people? I'll give you three verses. Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Romans 12, 3. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, to the measure of faith. So they undermine his authority, and then they take another step by saying, we actually could do it better than Moses, right? If, if we were there, all these things wouldn't be happening. We actually, we actually could take up that authority and do a better job. 
And in doing that, what they do is express their independence. They express their independence. God says to Miriam and Aaron from the cloud in verse 8, Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? You should be terrified to criticize the man that I have put in leadership over this nation for one reason, because he is a proxy for me. I have put him in this place, no one else, and he is faithful to me. Therefore, if you reject him, it isn't just a rejection of this man that is in this place. You actually have now rejected God. You've stepped into a pl- you've stepped into a place that has separated you from me. Remember Numbers nine twenty three. At the command of the Lord, by Moses. We don't want to follow Moses through the wilderness. Means I don't want to follow the Lord through the wilderness. Daniel two twenty one says, God changes times and seasons. He removes and sets up kings. I don't know about, about you, but this, this whole problem that they're expressing is, is actually something that we all deal with. I deal with it. Is this, this, this need to, to look out into the world and say, I know better, right? It's actually man's problem as a whole is to say, I know better. It is the essence of original sin, right? Choosing to eat from the tree of good and evil. Now I have the ability to say this is good and this is not. But it's not just about the leader of a nation, okay? We all are under multiple systems of authority, that are meant to create order in this world, okay? Paul says it this way uh, in Ephesians 5 and 6. He says, 5.22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. Can you finish the sentence? As to the Lord. So what is the purpose of a wife submitting to her husband? is to honor and glorify God. Husbands, you're not off the hook. Because the next verse says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. So now we have an institution of marriage that isn't just about the mutual benefit benefit of each each spouse, it's actually for showing off our honor of God, right? I don't actually get to wake up in the morning and go, I don't really like my wife today. Therefore, I'm just going to, to leave. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll find another one, but uh, this isn't really working out. I don't have a specific reason for leaving. I'm j- I just don't really like it. I don't like how this is going. When I reject that, I'm actually rejecting the Lord because the Lord is the one who has joined us together, right? This is, this is me saying, I don't really care about the institution of marriage. 
What I care about is, is me. But this isn't the only institution. If you have children, you are very thankful for the next one. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Right? I actually don't get to choose my own parents. But I am supposed to submit myself to them. And then he goes on to say that bond servants are supposed to submit themselves. It says in verse 5 and 6, Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. All of these institutions, parents, marriage, employee, servant, employer relationships, and governing authorities are meant for us to submit to, to create order in the world that we live in. And when we submit to those things, it isn't just out of obedience to that person, it's actually out of obedience to God, right? I don't actually get to choose. You say, Matt, what about leaders that are really broken? I was just pointing to Romans 3. We're all broken. There isn't an opportunity to put a leader in a position to make it all right. That's not actually going to happen because we're all fallen. We're all broken. There is no hope of us making this world right. That's Jesus's job. God has established Moses as the leader. God is moving the community closer to the promised land. God incited their, uh, their freedom out of Egypt. God provides the manna, the water, the way that they're getting there, right? I'll give you an, a New Testament version of this. His name is Peter. Peter is uh, honed in on the, uh, the nation of Israel becoming sovereign again. And he displays this in Matthew chapter 16 when he says uh, to Jesus, uh, Jesus actually asked the group of the disciples, who do, who do they say that I am? And then he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up and says, you're the son of man, right? Just a few verses later, Jesus tells the disciples, I'm going to die to resolve the world of sin. And Peter puts his arm around Jesus and pulls him aside and says, that's a terrible idea. We shouldn't do that. I, I, we need to establish you as king so that we can be sovereign. What is Jesus' response to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. That, that is, you're, you're, not, you're not in line with the Lord in this. My job is to follow his will, not my own. But something happens to Peter because when he writes his own letter, 1 Peter 2.17 ends with, honor the emperor. So somehow he goes from a place of, we need to overthrow the government that is over us in order to institute our own, to honor the emperor 
who is actually likely the emperor who, who executes Peter. As a, as a culture, as a whole, we are actually headed down a very dark path where we, we all say, this is what is good. This is what makes me happy. This is what I want to do. And it doesn't matter what anyone else says out there, right? All you need to do is open up Facebook and fall into this trap. I know because I have done it. That's why I'm saying we're all guilty of original sin. There's no way around this. And I don't know how there's any way around that in the last 18 months that we've not fallen into this trap, that we've not willingly said, I know better. I know how to make this right. If only I could be the one in charge, I would do it different than you. But here's the thing. As the church, that cannot be what we are known for. We cannot be known for the people who have the right answers to solve the world's problem. What we have to be known for is our faithfulness. We have to be known for our obedience to God. We have to be known for our dependence upon Him. When everything out in the world is just going terrible, the world needs to look at us and say, what? I don't understand why you have peace. I don't understand how... What is it about your God that is, that is saying that in the midst of this situation, you don't have to solve the problem? We have to be known for our dependence upon him. There's two options. You can either be uh, the people who hear God say, why did you speak against my servant? Or we can be the people just like Moses who hear this one is faithful in all my house. There's only one that he's really calling us to. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that, that you, would, you would humble our hearts, that we would come to the cross and realize that you are the solution to all of our problems. You are the solution to the world's problems. God, I ask that, that you, would, you would help us to turn away from trying to get it right because that is not the gospel. It is not the gospel that, that we have the power to get it right, but that we trust in you, God. Would we be a church that is solely dedicated to trusting in you, being dependent on you? Would you allow us to share that with the, with the world, with the community here in Homer? Father, we, we thank you that you died on a cross to resolve us of our sins, that you made a way for us to come back into your presence. And we thank you for the faith that you are working out in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.